I invite your attention to the Holy Word of God as found in Hebrews chapter 10, beginning in verse 32. Hebrews 10, beginning in verse 32 and going all the way to chapter 11, verse 2, and including verse 6. Hear the word of the Lord. But remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations, partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. For yet in a very little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back to destruction, but of those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, and the conviction of things not seen. For by it the men of old gained approval. Now including verse number 6. And without faith it is impossible to please Him, for he who comes to God must believe that He is, and that He is a rewarder of those who seek Him. Well, I'm thankful for an opportunity to speak this morning, and uh, in Phil's absence and in in Jay's absence too. Have you ever noticed that when they give me the opportunity to speak that they both skip town? <laughs> I'm starting to figure this out. Uh, no, but I, I really am uh, I'm thankful for the opportunity. And, um, you know, it's, it's an awesome responsibility to stand before you and to open up the Word of God, something that Phil does so faithfully week in and week out. And so, um, and so it's very humbling to, to do so. I want to speak this morning about saving faith, what it is and what it does, <clears throat> because faith and obedience are inseparably joined. A.W. Tozer said, the Bible recognizes no faith that does, uh, let me start again, the Bible recognizes no faith that does not lead to obedience, nor does it recognize any obedience that does not spring from faith. The two are opposite sides of the same coin. In other words, he's saying that true faith would always lead us to obedience, and our obedience as a Christian always springs from genuine faith. So I want to talk about what saving faith is and spend a little time there by way of introduction, but I want to spend more time on what saving faith does because our text in Hebrews is on that side of the coin. We'll look at what faith is, but more about what faith does. So first of all, what saving faith is. Now, a basic definition of faith is this, confident trust in God that results in continual reliance upon God. Confident trust in God 
that results in continual reliance upon God. The whole idea of faith is that of reliance. But we must know and trust the God upon whom we are placing our total confidence, upon whom we are relying. Faith involves believing all that God has said, and then it involves acting or living like we believe all that God has said. How easy is it for us to say, I believe the Word of God, and we should. But we're not only asked to believe all that God has said, but to live like we believe all that God has said. We'll often say, oh, I believe in an all-powerful God, sovereign God, a God who has everything under control. Then something comes along in our life and we just fall apart. We act like we're going to have to fix this ourselves or it'll never be fixed. We We act or we live or we respond in a way that does not reference what we believe about our God. And so that's the difficult part, isn't it? What faith is and what faith does. The critical importance of faith as a means of our justification is a central doctrine in Scripture, isn't it? Justification, we say, is by faith alone. It's one of the five solas or alones of the Reformation. Scripture alone by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. It's one of the pillars that the Reformation stands upon. We believe in justification or being made right before God through faith alone. In other words, faith in contrast to our works. Faith enables us where to believe in God where we don't bring our offering to God but He brings His offering of Jesus Christ to us and presents it to us. The theologians call faith the instrumental cause of our justification. In other words, it is through that faith, it is the mechanism through which we are justified before God. The word faith um, occurs about 600 times in the New Testament. That's surprising, isn't it? But And yet it's not surprising because the centrality and importance of the doctrine of our faith. The writer of the Hebrews proclaims in, ver- in chapter 11 and verse 6 that without faith it's impossible to please God. So it's very important that we understand it. Now for clarity, as we're saying what faith is, I think it's important for us, especially today, with all of the modern ideas floating around, that we talk about a couple of things that faith is not. What faith is not. The word faith has been hijacked by some segments of, of the church. You know, a carjacking is when you're going your merry way and someone comes up and rudely and in a criminal way interrupts you and takes what is yours and uses it for their own purpose. Well, the word faith has been hijacked. It may not be a carjacking, but it's a hijacking of the word. It's been given an unbiblical meaning in some segments of the church today. So let's talk about that for a moment. Faith is not, as some say, a personal power which you possess to create your own future. Faith is not a personal power which you wield like a magic wand that causes your future to go the way that you want it to go. Faith is not the power to believe things into being. That's what's being said today. Faith is not something that you muster up, and if you get the formula just right, and if you're just in the right posture before God, you've got this 
internal personal power that will, in fact, make things or happen for you, create your own future, or believe them into being. You've all heard that, haven't you? Things such as healing. If I just believe enough, I'll be healed. Salvation. If I believe enough, have enough faith, I'll be saved. If I have enough faith, I'll come from poverty to wealth. If I have enough faith, I'll change my circumstances from bad to good. I need to have faith to believe those things into being. That's not anywhere close to the biblical idea of faith. Some people think today as if by exercising some personal power that they have in themselves, like a superhero, they're going to write their own future, change their own destiny, and map out the course of their life. But faith is not a personal power that you possess to believe things into being or create your own future. Nor, secondly, is faith an imaginary hope. You know, I hear people say, well, good luck. Just have faith, you know. Or, I wish you well. Yeah, I mean, I guess that, that one's okay if it's in the right context. We don't want to, you know, throw the baby out with the bathwater here. But when we're thinking of something that's just purely imaginary, those things, no matter how well-intentioned we might be when we say them, they, they aren't anything, therefore they can't do anything. You know, there's a chance that you might win the billion-dollar lottery. Well, chance isn't anything, therefore chance can't do anything. Luck isn't anything, therefore it can't do anything. Wish, a wish upon a, upon a star, when you wish upon the star, makes no difference who you are. You know, it's a nice song, we all sing it. <laughs> That's free, by the way, just put your money in the plate as you leave. Um, that wouldn't make it free, maybe I should pay you for having to listen. <laughs> anyway... Wish is, isn't anything, and so it can't do anything. But faith is not like that. Faith is something, and faith does something. Faith is a reliance upon God and the Word of God. Faith is something of substance, as we're going to work out here in a few moments, and therefore faith also does something. In fact, the very definition of faith in Hebrews 10 and 11 it recoils or pulls back away from the idea of something imaginary. It's the opposite of something that's just imaginary or unreal. Confident trust in God that results in continual reliance upon God. Remember what Jesus said in the Gospels when He was quoting the Old Testament? He said, man shall not live, the just shall live by faith. That's the verse that we're looking at today. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by what? By every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We live spiritually and in every other way as a result by the words which proceed from the mouth of God. Faith and reliance upon God. Now, our text in Hebrews centers around that verse that I mentioned in the Old Testament, the just shall live by faith. And so let's go back to Habakkuk and let's look at that verse within its context. Now, Habakkuk is between Nahum and Zephaniah, and that doesn't help a bit, does it? <laughs> and if you've got, like Paul said in the Sunday school lesson this morning, one of those really thin Bibles where, the, where you know, one page is, is, is about three chapters of the Bible, you're really going to struggle to find it. But Habakkuk chapter 2, and let's read verses 2 um, 
actually 3 and 4, and that's the context from which the writer of Hebrews is instructing us about faith. And we're looking at what faith is. So in Habakkuk 2, we read verse 3, as he's listening for the Lord. Okay, the Lord's speaking here. The vision is yet for the appointed time. It hastens toward the goal, and it will not fail. Though it tarries, wait for it. Though it tarries, wait for it. For it will certainly come, it will not delay. Behold, as for the proud one, his soul is not right within him. But the righteous will live by his faith. Do you see the context of the righteous live by faith? The prophet is wanting to hear from the Lord and the Lord speaks. The prophet is wondering, will the word of the Lord be fulfilled? When will the word of the Lord be filled? fulfilled? When will these things happen? How long, O oh Lord, must we wait? God says in verse 3, it's for an appointed time. I said it, it will happen. It is moving toward the goal. It will not fail. And though it tarries, and here's the part we have trouble with, wait for it, he says. Now he says something about the proud soul. The, the, the idea of pride there is something swollen up. The man or woman swollen up with pride pushes God far away from them. And that soul is not right before God. On the other hand, the just will live by faith, confident, reliant trust upon what God has said, and they are willing to wait for it. To live by faith, it has a dual meaning in reference to our salvation. And uh, it has an initial sense in which the just live by faith in that we are enabled by the Holy Spirit to believe. The just live spiritually by faith in that we out, wholly outside of ourselves are acted upon by God, the power of God initiating new life in us, new birth. If God does not act upon us, we remain sinners. We remain in sin. We remain under the wrath of God. But, but praise the Lord. He has purposed that the Holy Spirit draw us to Christ, enabling us to have faith in Him. And so there's an initial sense in which we are enabled by Him to believe. But there's also a continual sense. The just live by faith initially, but they live by faith continually in the sense that we act out of that faith given to us in obedience day after day. We participate in the grace of God having once been given to us by yielding ourselves to the Word of God and yielding ourselves to the will of God and yielding ourselves to the Spirit of God and inviting, as we did in the prayer this morning, God, we want you to be in control of our time here. I want you to control my life. I want you to shape my thinking. I want you to shape my mind. Change me. I know I'm wrong. I know my soul is not right within me, and I want my soul to be right within me. How do I do that? So there's that initial sense in which the just live by faith, but there's the continual sense we daily respond in obedience to Christ. So the work begun in us by the Holy Spirit, enabling us to believe and cast our trust wholly on the meritorious work of Christ, that's the beginning. We're casting out our own goodness, we have none. We're casting out our own hopes and aspirations, we have none that are pure. We, we leave everything and we flee to Christ and we trust that He has done all that is necessary 
and will do all that is necessary to save us. But then there's that faith by which we live continually. And if you look back in, um, in Hebrews chapter 10, and you look at verse number 38, you'll recognize what the writer here did. Verses 37 and verses 38 in Hebrews 10 are quoting Habakkuk that we just read. But notice in verse 38 how the writer rightly points to Christ as the fulfillment of all righteousness in our behalf. He doesn't simply say the just shall live by faith as Habakkuk originally wrote. But notice what he said. New American Standard says, but my righteous one shall live by faith, pointing to Christ, the righteous one. God is not asking you to be good enough for Him to accept. He asked Christ to be good enough for Him to accept, and He was. He, Christ, is God's righteous one, and He fulfilled all righteousness in our behalf. And having done so, we recognize what the prophet was driving at, the just shall live by faith, initially the faith of another, the faith of Christ. We're saved by faith in Christ. That's the means through which, the mechanism through which we're, we, we receive that grace of God in our justification, but it's a work already done. We don't come to Christ and say, well, you did a pretty good job so far, but I'll take it from here. We say, Christ, you've done it all. The cross was a final work. The cross is a full work. The cross was a finished work. And to that I come. I cast myself upon Christ alone. And having done that, the Holy Spirit working in us enables us to then live in the faith that says, I've not only been saved by that grace, but I want to continue to live obediently in that grace. Faith by which we are justified makes our soul right within us. Bacchus said, the one swelled with pride, he pushes God away. His, his soul is not right within him. But the man, the woman that lives by faith, casting themselves only on Christ, their soul is right within them. That's sanctifying faith. The second kind of faith I'm talking about, faith initially and faith continually, the second kind is sanctifying faith. It's a faith that's exercised when we work out our salvation with fear and trembling, Philippians 2.12. Why do we work out our salvation with fear and trembling? Because it is God, Philippians 2.13, who is at work in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. We're working out what God has initiated in us. We're not trying to work it into us. We're not trying to earn it. We're working it out. God gives us faith that we may exercise faith. Do you see that? Initial faith and continual faith. And it's that aspect of faith, that second aspect of faith, which the Westminster Confession speaks about in this way. And if you weren't understanding it, the way that I'm presenting it this morning, it's going, to, it's going to be quite a difficulty for you. And here's what the Westminster Confession of Faith says about continual faith. It's this aspect of faith that, that it speaks about, and it says this, I quote, This faith is different in degrees, weak and strong. It may be often and in many ways assailed, and it may be weakened, but it always gets the victory as it grows in us to the attainment of the full assurance of Christ. Now, I thought you said, Ron, that the Holy Spirit enables us to have faith and believe, and it's that faith 
that by which we're justified outside of our works, outside of our works of obedience? Yes, I did. So the Westminster Confession is focusing at this point in their paragraph on the secondary idea, but no less important, of our continually being sanctified through our faith. That faith may be at times very weak. It may be faith as a mustard seed. Or it may be faith that can move the mountains. Have you been there? I've had those times when when I felt like I was just really doing something. I know I wasn't. Boy, was I connected with God. Boy, was I in the will of God. You know, you, and, it, and you, you love it, and you can move the mountains. Anything you throw at me, Lord, I'm ready. Praise God for those times. There's been times when I bowed my head. I did not even have the words to speak because I was in such a desperate condition. I don't have any faith right now, Lord. You see? We're not talking about faith initially, which God enables us to believe and connects us in our justification to trust in Christ. We're talking about continual faith, the way faith responds in the people of God. And it's sometimes weak, it's sometimes strong, but it always, they said, gets the victory. Yeah, it always gets the victory. Why? Because ultimately it relies not on what we do and do not do, but it relies on the works, again, of Christ who has perfected them for us. You know, true faith is tested faith. Don't get the idea that, you know, you pray for faith, God increase my faith, you know. I believe, but increase, you know, help my unbelief, like the prayer of the New Testament. Don't get the idea then as God takes you through that process because it's a difficult one and you're going to fail more than you seem like you win. Don't get the idea that it's not true faith in you because it is so heavily tested True faith is tested faith. True faith goes through the fire in order to be refined. But it always gets the victory because Christ is holding on to us. And that's good news. Little faith is saving faith if it's genuine faith. Habakkuk said the righteous will live this way. They'll live by faith initially in justification and they'll live by faith continually. Now having briefly considered what saving faith is and given just kind of a basic definition of it, I want to move on to where Hebrews takes us in chapter 11, uh, 10 and 11, and that is to what saving faith does. And we're here, we're going to begin in verse 32 of Hebrews 10. The context of faith in our passage is a life in which things are hoped for, but not seen or possessed. The context of this faith is a life in which God has promised, and we believe it, and yet we don't have not been given those things. We haven't seen them or possessed them. And that's where we find ourselves now, is it not? So much of the Christian life is that which has begun in us by the grace of God, but we must wait for it. It moves on toward the goal, God told Habakkuk. It is going to happen, but you must wait for it. How should we respond to God's ultimate promise of victory when our experiences are that of setbacks and sufferings and loss and sorrow? <laughs> and that's the challenge. Again, that's the challenge. God, I have faith. Why do these things keep happening to me? Why is everything against me? Some of the people that were written to, the writer of the Hebrews wrote to, they were beginning to fall back from Christ. They were beginning to lose confidence in the way of the New Testament gospel. 
They were beginning to forsake the assembly of the saints. They were beginning to say, you know, I thought I had something going, but I guess not. Because what I expected was that my life would be great. We've been suffering, and, 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 and we know that that's probably going to be a part of it, but we're going to have enough faith to get us out of that. We're going to change our circumstances. We're going to be positive-thinking Christians. <laughs> well, it wasn't going that way for them. The early persecution that began was on the increase, and it would become worse. And so they're thinking, hey, I don't, maybe we got this thing wrong. Maybe we should fall back to the ways of the Old Testament. At least there we knew what, where we stood. Or did they? So the writer of the Hebrews reminds them and warns them, just like you started out, you ought to continue in the way of faith with patience and diligence. Now let's look at what faith does for the soul. Faith does something. It is something and it does something. Verse 32, the first part says, Remember the former days when after being enlightened. The first thing true faith does is it enlightens the soul. We talked about that, the initial work of the Holy Spirit, renewing the soul, making it right with God. True faith enlightens the soul. Not enlightenment in the, in the you know, hyper-spiritual sense. It's darkness and sin to lie to the gospel. It's like sitting in a dark jail cell with no way out and all of a sudden the light beams in and you look to the light and the doors open and you walk out free and you say, I'm a free man. I may not even have realized. I may not even have known the kind of bondage I was in, but now I do and I know I'm free. Faith enlightens us because God gives that a new birth in the soul. And you may not have, have had an experience that it was that, it was that clear cut for you. Now for me, I, I walked down an aisle in a Baptist church when I was about seven years old, and everybody in the church hugged me, and I cried about it, and, and I felt emotional about it, and they said, you're saved, you know, you're, you're Brother Ronnie now, and, that, and it was great. But what I realized is the life that I lived as a teenager after that did not reflect a real change that God made. It did not, my life did not reflect the enabling of the Holy Spirit to have faith in Christ and then to obey Christ. Somewhere just prior to the time that Donine and I married, it wasn't an, an event, it wasn't a thing, it wasn't a, that kind of moment. But I realized because God had brought me through a process and He had changed me and He had turned me and, and I realized and I recognized I've been in darkness, but I'm not in that darkness anymore. I'm walking in the light. And there was a drastic difference in me then Nobody had to say you're saved. God said so, and I could see the difference. So it may be a process. It may be one event that you can remember the day and the time, but God is the one who is enlightening the soul. But notice what else faith does for the soul, and it's in the last part of verse 32 and following. You endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through the reproaches and tribulations, and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. You showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and an abiding one. Therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Faith preserves the soul, and it does so by evidencing itself to you, believer, in multiple ways. Like I said, I began to do and act and think differently. Faith enabled me to do that. God enlightened me to do that through trust in Christ. 
And it says that they, they suffered joyfully. They were humiliated, verse 33. They showed sympathy to others, verse 34. They gladly yielded up their earthly possessions, knowing that their possessions were the ones that are eternal in the heavens. Earthly things are just things. See the mindset? They're, they're changed people. They, they, they've, been, they've seen and tasted the Word of God. Faith works in the soul to preserve us and to keep us, even in the severest trials, especially, I think, in the severest trials. For if in the darkest hour of your life, faith does not sustain you, if it's true faith, it's no faith. Real faith, though tried and tested, always gets the victory. It begins the process that God is working in all of us to change us into the image of Christ. I'm not Christ-like before I'm saved. Oh, I might be a nice guy. I might do this or that. I might do relatively good things. I may not be an axe murderer. But before God, I stand condemned in a fallen world. I'm a son of Adam, and I'm under the wrath of God. So having been enlightened, enabled by faith to the preserving of my soul, God works to begin molding and shaping all of us into the image of Christ. Saved by Christ, and now I ought to look like Christ. Believing in Christ, now I ought to obey Christ. Trusting in Christ, now follower of Christ. And He works in us to the sanctifying of our souls. He's preserving us in that way. You say, well, doesn't trouble mean that I'm a bad Christian? No. Doesn't trouble mean that I don't have faith? No. Probably means in the right context that you've got great faith, that you are exercising faith, that you are trusting, and that you're on the right road. Listen, if a friend comes to you and, they, and they've got tears in their eyes and they say, I, I don't have any faith at all. I'm so concerned. I might, not, I might not be the type of person I ought to be before God. You say, brother, sister, son, daughter, mother, father, you're in exactly the right spot. God's at work in you. You have a deep concern to please God. You have a deep concern that you need more faith, and don't we all? You want to please God. You recognize you're not doing it. You're in the right spot. God's at work in your life. One thing I want for this church and all the elders do is for us to be transparent with one another. You know, I do it. We all do it. You know, how you doing, Brother Ron? Oh, I'm good. Life's good. Everything's good. Aren't we all good? No. <laughs> Who am I trying to fool? Now listen. Ultimately, everything is good. And I will say that sometimes to qualify it. In the ultimate sense, I couldn't be better. Christ has saved me. But you know what? My father passed away not long ago, as many of you know. And when you came to me and asked how I was doing, I said, I appreciate your prayers, but it's been difficult. I'm not really doing good. I'm trying to find it all joy, but I'm not finding the joy. I'm trying to understand the sovereignty of God through all this, but it's difficult in its application. I'm working through a process, my sister, my brother, and I covet your prayers, but I'm not going to tell you that I'm good. I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm a sinner. I'm under, I'm under a process that's painful and difficult, and I'm a long way from where God wants me to be. But God's not giving up on me. God's bringing me through that process. God's not casting me aside when I fail. God's gathering me to Himself when I fail. 
God's not pushing me down and putting his throat on my, his, his foot on my throat. He's picking me up and he's holding me and saying, I love you. I died for you. You're struggling because you're meant to struggle. You're meant to gain the victory. You're meant to increase your faith, but it's a tested faith. It's a difficult process is this sanctification. Verse 36 says to these Hebrew Christians that are in the midst of all this suffering, they're wondering what to do. Should we just turn back and go to the Old Testament way? Should we forget about this New Testament Christ? He says, you have need of endurance. That's what you need. You need endurance so that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what is ultimately promised. You see, that's the context of this faith in this passage. It's something that's hoped for, but it's not yet seen or possessed, and so we must wait for it. What kind of faith can do that? We've got a duty to persevere, patiently wait upon God and persevere toward the goal. What kind of faith can do that? What kind won't shrink back? What kind of faith lays hold of what's promised but not yet given? Well, that brings us to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1 and 2. Hebrews 11, 1 and 2 give us three key words, and I think they're important maybe for us to understand a little bit better. There are these three words. The first one, they're all New American Standard, assurance. The second, conviction. And the third, approval. Assurance, conviction, and approval. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the men of old uh, gained approval. First word that helps us understand what faith does in us, how it operates, how it works, how God uses it is the word assurance. Assurance of things hoped for. Also, it's translated substance in some places because the idea is, as I told you before, it's the opposite of imagination, okay? Christians are not people that go out and just and say, you know, well, everything's going to turn out fine, one of these days, yeehaw. Now we base our faith on something. Give me something of substance and foundation upon which I can anchor my soul. That's exactly what the idea of assurance is, or substance, or foundation. It all, it's all in that word. It's the idea that we are persuaded of something based on fact, not on imagination. Again, faith is not an in internal power in us to believe things into being, but rather it's counting upon what God has already said and trusting that. So assurance, faith is the assurance, it says, of things hoped for. They're hoped for, but not yet possessed. But faith is that assurance that what God has promised, He will give. It's substantial and real and it makes a difference to us because God is at work. You know, people look from the outside and they think, you know, you, you Christians, you, you're, you're crazy. You're off your rocker, you know, because you smile and have hope in some of the most difficult circumstances. You talk about faith in the God and look at you. Isn't that one of the temptations of the devil? And the devil getting in your ear when, that, when that's going on? You know what we say to that? We respond by the Word of God. No, my God is in my life. My God is controlling my life. My God is blessing me. But what He has promised ultimately, I have not yet received, but I will. I'm an heir of the world. I'm an heir of creation through Jesus Christ. I'm not possessing that at this time, but it's just as real 
as if I were possessing it at this time. It's not imagination. My son Jason, when he moved out of the house, uh, he was he's 31 now, I believe, if I got if I got that right. Um, when he moved out of the house, he'd been out for a couple of years, and and uh, he his daddy was a preacher growing up, you know, so so I kind of had a little confidence that he had some discernment about preachers. And he was telling me he went to hear a preacher, and I was interested to know about this preacher. I hadn't heard him preach, and I said, "How how did how was the preacher? How did he preach?" And he said, and I'd never heard this before. He said, "Dad, he's all fluff and no stuff." <laughs> And I was proud of him that he could tell the difference. And I'd never heard that before. Well, assurance is all stuff and no fluff. Assurance is a concrete bedrock foundation that sets our mind upon something that is so real to us because God has said it. We've evaluated it, we've embraced it, we're acting upon it as if we were at this time possessing the ultimate reward. This pulpit is an example we all see this pulpit, solid. Paul did a good job when he built it. Well, my mind is going to, my eyes are going to see this, and my mind is going to evaluate it. And based on that, I'm going to act in a certain way. I recognize there are things that I can and cannot do. I cannot walk through this pulpit. I can walk around this pulpit, but I cannot walk through this pulpit. My mind is assured, convinced that because of the reality of what my eyes see and what my mind perceives as real and genuine, I can and cannot do certain things. Faith is that way. It's the assurance of things hoped for. I hope for them because God said He's going to give them to me. I didn't imagine them. It's not my idea. God has revealed Himself. Thus saith the Lord, I will do this and this. So my mind, the eye of faith, sees the mind of faith receives and assimilates that and says, based on that, here is what I should do. Here is how I should act. Here is the type of person I'll have to be. God's promises are assurance. Second key word is that in the first verse still where it says conviction. Faith is conviction of things not seen or maybe evidence. It may say evidence. It's kind of like a courtroom scene, isn't it? There's some evidence that's presented and in fact, that's exactly what the Word has in mind. And the evidence is so overwhelming. It's not shaky evidence. It's not, well, you know, it could be this way or the other way. No. It is this and this and this. It lays out so perfectly. And we are overwhelmingly convicted, convinced by the evidence presented by God. Conviction of things not seen. Such evidence moves us to act. Faith evidences the reality and the certainty of God's promises for the future. So we believe them so strongly now that we act upon them just as naturally as we act upon what our eyes see and what our ears hear and what our minds perceive right now. We are believing by faith. We have been assured and we have conviction or evidence of that faith and we act upon it and it's natural because we're the children of God. Conviction draws strength from the promises of God. And it moves us to act as men and women of the Old Testament did. Moving on, the third word is approval, or by it, by faith it is, the men of old gained approval. Men and women, saints of the Old Testament, that's who's in mind there. Now the word approval might give us 
the wrong idea if we're not careful. It might give us the idea that through their heroic actions they caused or their heroic actions led to their acceptance with God. That's not what the writer of Hebrews has been saying. In fact, the opposite, and he wouldn't turn and say it now. Actually, it's this way. These Hall of Fame Old Testament believers in chapter 11, and we could look at all of them if we had the time. We won't this morning. But they did what they did not out of personal strength and ingenuity and heroism or greatness, but they did so out of the faith which had been given to them. Okay? In other words, look down to verse number 4. It doesn't say simply, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain. If it said that alone, it would be focusing on the work of Abel. Abel did this, then God responded and said, Aha! No, it doesn't say that, does it? What does it say? By faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain. The faith that God gave, the strength of the work of God in Abel, allowed him to respond in a way that gave witness and testimony that, that God had saved him, that he was a righteous man before God, that his heart was right before God. You see that? It doesn't just say Abraham did this and Noah did this and Sarah did this. It says that, and that's our part. That's what I'm saying. Faith is something, faith does something, but it does something as a result. We work because God has worked. We love God and serve God because He loved us first. He, is, he has changed us, therefore we act like changed people. And if we never act like changed people, then we have a reason to look at our own souls and see if they're right with God or not. Abel did offer a better sacrifice than Cain. But it focuses not on Abel and his works, but it focuses on God who gave the divine power for him as a weak man, a poor man, a helpless man spiritually to act in a very appropriate way to what God has done. God says, I'm going to give you the treasures of the world. There they are. And you stand back and you say, well, I'll, I'll go over here, Lord, and I'll scratch around for a penny or two. So I'll give you the treasures of the world over here for you to receive. I'll, well, I'll go over here, Lord, and maybe I can scrape up a nickel or two. No. By divine power, weak, that's me. Poor, that's me. Helpless, that's me. We are enabled to respond in a way that shows the work of God in us and pleases God as a result and gains approval with God. Because God is not applauding our works, He's applauding Christ. He's applauding the power of the gospel. He's applauding His eternal purpose to take us and elevate us to where He is. We're nothing. He's everything. That's what this kind of faith is. That's what faith does. It moves us no matter who we are, where we are, the situation we find ourselves in brings us to the foot of the cross and it brings us to a place of victory in Christ. If we view the men and the women of Hebrews chapter 11 as victorious because of their personal strength, 
and their heroism, we're never going to enjoy the same victory that they enjoyed. Because you say it, I'm not strong. I'm not brilliant. I'm not heroic. I'm just a mother of children. I'm a student. You know, I'm a man scratching out a living. You know, I, I'm, I'm not Abraham. Yes, you are. I'm not Abel. Yes, you are. I'm not Sarah. Yes, you are. Because the focus is not on them. The focus is on the God at work in them. No matter who you are, faith means that you can count for the kingdom of Christ. No matter what circumstances you find yourself in. You, you may be saying, wow, well, you know, my mom and dad went to church and they taught me the good way and the gospel. And man, I'm so far from that right now. What I'm going to do, though, Ron, is, is I'm going to dust myself off. I'm going to clean myself up. I'm going to get good things going in my life. And then God will accept me. Mm -mm. It doesn't work that way. No, he came, he came to meet you where you are. He didn't, he didn't come to find the righteous because there aren't any. The Lord looked on the whole earth to see if there were any righteous. Remember the verse? How many did he find? None. And that includes you too. You're not going to be the one exception, and I'm not going to be the one exception. So what does God do now? There aren't any good people. We're all broken, and we're all fallen, we're all weak in some way or another. We don't have a lot to offer God. So why would God want us? For the eternal love with which He loved us, He sent His Son. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes might not perish but have everlasting life. Believe is faith. Faith is appropriating the work of Christ to yourself. Faith is the instrumental cause through which we apply the work of Christ to us in our life. We, we embrace all that Christ has done for us, and God counts us once and for all, declares us divinely righteous before Him, never again to be counted otherwise. Faith, even if it's small faith, if it's genuine faith, can in fact move those mountains. It can in fact place you in the hall of faith with these great believers. It can mean you make a difference for the kingdom of Christ. Assurance, conviction, and approval. Confident trust in God leading to continual reliance upon God. And may God grant us that we would be those who have faith and live in faith because the just shall live by his faith. Faith initially, faith continually, and we wait to receive the promises. We have them, but we wait for them. So I encourage you this morning, brothers and sisters, to be patient and endure and persevere, knowing that he who promised is faithful. And may we be people who are known, not because we're great, but because we serve a great God. Amen.